Hello, and welcome to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. In this podcast, we discuss mystical works of literature and how they relate to recovery. We hope you enjoy today's podcast episode. Hello, everyone. Buddy C. Another good day to discuss the Tao. Got Marla H. and Lala M. and Paul H. with us today. Somebody else beeping in. They'll show up in a second. I guess the question to ask, are we open today to learn something or change our idea about something that we can uh, that we can be open-minded, have that beginner's mind about things that we even think we have figured out? That's where the magic is. Letting go of those preconceived notions that we just assume let all of our assumptions go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> go of the assumptions. I think, Paul, are you going to read for us today? I can if you like me to. We're doing 49, right? Yes, sir. Okay, well, this is uh, chapter 49, uh, first translation. The state has no mind of his own. He is aware of the needs of others. I am good to people who are good. I am also good to people who are not good, because virtue is goodness. I have faith in people who are faithful. I also have faith in people who are not faithful, because virtue is faithfulness. The sage is shy and humble. To the world he seems confusing. Others look to him and listen. He behaves like a little child. Uh, Second translation. The master has no mind of her own. She works with the mind of the people. She is good to people who are good. She is also good to people who aren't good. This is true goodness. She trusts people who are trustworthy. She also trusts people who aren't trustworthy. This is true trust. The master's mind is like space. People don't understand her. They look to her and wait. She treats them like her own children. The master has no mind of her own. She understands the mind of the people. Those who are good, she treats as good. Those who aren't good, she also treats as good. This is how she attains true goodness. She trusts people who are trustworthy. She also trusts people who aren't trustworthy. This is how she gains true trust. The master's mind is shut off from the world. For Only for the sake of the people does she muddle her mind. They look to her in anticipation, yet she treats them all as her children. Uh, Fourth translation. Uh, The masters don't make up their minds. They turn their thoughts to other people. They are good to good people, and they're good to bad people. This is real goodness. They have faith in the faithful, and they have faith in the unfaithful. This is real faith. A master throws himself into the world completely, forgetting everything he's been told. People pay attention to him because he lives a life of childlike wonder. The master throws himself into the world completely, forgetting everything he's been told. Does anybody else think of Mother Teresa when you read this? For, just When I read these, it, I, a person often comes to my mind. One of and this one I'm reading is like Mother Teresa or the Dalai Lama. 
I was come to my mind. reading a um, Wayne Dyer book where and he was talking about meeting Mother Teresa. It's interesting you mentioned that. And it's also interesting that they changed the gender in the translation. <laughs> you see she. I don't I don't know that the that we often see it translated as she. Women are much can be much more. Um, uh, no, I take it back. I was going to say women can be less judgmental than men, but that's so not true. Never mind. I take it back. But they can. But really, though, and this is this is talking about this. Women, I don't. I'm not trying to be sexist in any way, but I know from my experience that a lot of times women are more caring and more nurturing than men just by nature. The um, mothers, yeah. Yes, the mother. And that's the thing that we can, I think, applies to what we're talking about today, too. Because if you look at the, the, um, the last part of the translations, on the, on the second one, a lot of, that's Mitchell that did the second translation, Lala. And a lot of times he'll do a she and the third one will do that sometimes a lot too. Uh, but she treats them like her own children. And then the last, uh, the second one, the third says the same thing, uh, that the idea of treating others like your children. I mean, think about, I know my children, how much tolerance and patience and love and understanding I would have my children could do something and someone else's child do the same thing. And my, my thought of what happened would be different because it's my child. Mm-hmm. So she treats others like they're her children. So think about the love you have for your children uh, and, and how that, how that equates to how we, treat others and our attitude toward others is a lot of what this is trying to, to convey. And, and I think that's one way that we maintain this open mind that, you know, at the first where he was talking about the sage has no mind of his own, that he's aware of the needs of others. Uh, I, I think it's more of like the fourth translation says that, uh, they don't make up their minds, that they're open-minded, that they just don't have all the solutions. They're open to others' ideas. Yeah, I really like that last line in the fourth translation about childlike wonder. That one really struck me because think back to when you were a child. I mean, you don't have too many preconceived notions. In fact, you probably don't have any until you're a little older. So you just kind of approach the world with this wonder of, and I think sometimes we, we lose that as we get older and, you know, we think we're older and wiser, but we're really just more cynical and, you know. <laughs> you know, because we run across in our lives people who we have learned not to trust because they've done things uh, to us or to others and um, people who've, you know, who have to be judged like somebody who kills somebody or, you know, serial killer. How do you not judge them? How do you, you know, how do you treat them like your own child? It's, that's a tough one. 
Fortunately, I don't know any serial killer. Well, that I know of. <laughs> not that I know of, right? Hopefully, <laughs> <Okay. laughs> not any on this call. <laughs> does it? Does it never? Does it never cross your mind, though, when you see reports of a serial killer? What? I mean, okay, we might be dealing with just a pure psychopath that has no. Um, empathy or feeling um at all and therefore is driven just from a purely you know um selfish drive and maybe i'm slightly odd um well yes i am slightly odd um but i always wonder what's happened to them yeah because i can judge and yes there's no taking back what what they've done is wrong but to be able to bring yourself to do that, quite often, I will sit, and it, well, I might not say it out loud, but I will be sitting and thinking, what has happened to you to make you act out on that? Yeah. And also when it comes to the children, I mean, I don't know whether it's because I'm making it, making up for the time that I didn't have with my own kids because I was working or I was in relapse or I was ill but connecting with children is a lot easier than connecting with an adult because because they don't have the idea of they don't have this superficiality and the 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 trappings of what they've acquired over the years and and also to see a child quiet or looking to be in pain, I would actually leave my own child, who I'm comfortable is okay, to then go and sit with the child that I think that's in pain. And that's just, as my husband said, that's just something that you do. And that, and, and you know... That's coming from the person who, up until two years ago, said she'd failed as a mother, and yet that female and it, I do I, I do believe that females have this inbuilt mechanism that means that they are driven to nurture and care, and channeling that is is actually I I. I I don't know. I call it a privilege of recovery, um, and to 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 work, you know, to to spend time with the children who are the ones that are the troublemakers and the ones that are seen as dirty. And my child will not play with you. Um, they are judged, um, and actually sitting down and going, "Hey, what's going on? You okay? Even if you, even if you don't get anywhere." Um, and that's not for anything. That's not for anything I get back from it. It's just literally just to say, are you all right? Um, and, um, yeah, it's, and it's being, you know, see, it's seeing that child, I guess it's seeing the child through your own eyes as a child. Do you, do you get that? I don't know. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. Christy, and, and I think the idea here is, that we learn to treat others, even adults, as we treat our own children with the yeah. same compassion 
with the same caring. And that's the attitude here that it's saying that the, that the sage has is to learn to do that. Um, and, and what you're talking about, Paul, about uh, the wonder of a child, childlike wonder that we see in the fourth translation. I was thinking about that the kingdom of God is, is like the children. The ones that enter the kingdom are like the children in that that same childlike trust, confidence, faith, surrender, dependence that a three-year-old has. I think that we're all the three-year-old playing in the sandbox. Very little of what we're doing is that important. I mean, what do you what do you I know for me when my kids were three, they they had very little responsibilities. I never came in and said, okay, guys, the house I thought that would sell this week didn't. I don't know how we're going to pay the power bill. Y'all going to have to go out and help me with this. Never did that to my children. They didn't have to worry with any of that. My daughter thought, you know, that I said, we we don't have the money for that right now. She would say, well, just go get some more. (laughs) Just go over to that machine and put the card in and get some more money. She had no clue as to how that worked, you know, which is right. She shouldn't have any clue at that point, right? <laughs> but I think that our real level of responsibility is very close to that in that, you know, we learn in recovery that we're powerless over our addiction. For me, powerless over alcohol. My life was unmanageable. That if I put my trust in this higher, higher power and surrendered, and turn my will and my life over to this power that was greater than me to its care, then my life just started unfolding. The same things that we're learning here, very same exact way. And in learning that, I learned that my responsibilities were very little. When my kids were little, they had just a couple of things they had to do. They had to share what they were given, and they were given everything. They didn't have to earn, or at that age, they were, they were just loved. They had to share what they had. Uh, they had to enjoy themselves, and they had to they had to do what I asked them to do, with a lot of tolerance. And I didn't ask them to do things that they were not capable of doing. So that was pretty much their job. And how many times do you see a little kid that you know they're playing in the sandbox or whatever, and they they've got all this serious stuff going on, and they can't understand why they can't complete something they're doing. And, you know, and you just, you just laugh at it and you say, well, you know, they just don't understand. They, they get all tied up about things that don't matter, you know, mm-hmm. and all this seriousness sometimes with some kids, especially and how that relates to my life now about all the things, you know, we learn that, you know, don't sweat the small stuff and everything is small stuff, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Is, is that not saying, hey, we're just playing in the sandbox? <laughs> yeah. Everything else is taken care of. But we have to do that without judging the other person who is taking things so seriously. You know. It goes back to us, Marla. The solution is always within. And, and one mm-hmm. big aspect of this is that we'll get to is self-love. And how do we nurture love for ourselves? Um, Wayne Dyer talks about 
some of that, which is really good today. Uh, any other comments, guys? Well, in terms of recovery, yeah, um, we, we, you know, this this person um, did nothing but judge myself in terms of, you know, when I relapse, what a shit I am. Or, um, you know, I don't want anybody to know I'm in recovery because, God forbid, they should know I'm an alcoholic. Um, the self, that self-judgment needs to also, that needs to go away, you know, to create self-love. And yeah, I, th- I think, you know, as, as recovering people, early recovering people, we don't have a lot of self-love. No, we don't. You know? I know I didn't. I had no self-love. Didn't, and I'm my worst critic, and, you know, if I talk to my friends the way I talk to myself, I would have no friends whatsoever. And also, also for, for, um, well, for this addict and for many others, um, that childlike wonder was never there. Um, And that judgment started as far back as I can possibly remember. Mm-hmm. So the idea of not having that weight on your shoulders and being a childlike innocence, I can't remember a time that I had that. No, um, I know. And, and, and maybe the idea of reconnecting with children and, and spending time with children and, and spending time with adults who are, vulnerable and and you know um it's maybe a way of reconnecting with that and growing up because essentially that's that's what a lot of people have to do in recovery yeah i was thinking there of you know i i also kind of had a strange i don't remember the child like wonder years as far back as i can go and I've, and I've been told to kind of try and connect with that inner child that didn't get that sense of safeness, that sense of everything's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And kind of you yourself being able, as an adult, being able to connect with that inner child and let them know it's going to be okay. Still trying to figure out how to do that, but yeah. Yeah, I hear you. That's, I have some suggestions. I, I, I know how I have done that, and we'll, I'm going to give you some examples of how I've, and basically how I've done that is by considering the inner, inner child in others and how, how I can help and love another person causes, helps the love for me to grow. It's like, a, it, for me, it's been a fruit. I didn't seek out to love myself more. I didn't know how to do that, so... When I started loving other people, the love for me started growing too. Yes. Um, it's like a fruit of doing the right things. So what I would say for you, Kirsty, would be if if that's something, I think it will just come about by you continuing in recovery and doing the right things. You will realize one day you love yourself in ways that you did not love yourself before. Has anyone else experienced that? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I think for sure as a, you know, just to compartmentalize it, all the, all the work that I've been doing in recovery certainly makes, gives me more love to myself today as an adult and makes me 
you know, I used to be so filled with guilt, shame, remorse, anger, hurt, all that stuff. So as an adult, I feel a lot stronger and more self-love today. But like I said, there's still that, you know, what gives me anxiety is still that kind of inner unrest that, you know, I wasn't feeling safe as a child. So I kind of kept compartmentalized it like that, I guess. Yeah, I think I have too. It just takes time to grow through all that, Lala. Yeah. Or, or actually, rather than grow through, surrender through all that. Probably a better way to say that. Yeah. We're all finding areas to let go that we didn't even know was there. Yeah. <laughs> For me, I've been finding guilt lately everywhere that I did not know how much I was motivated by guilt. Like really? under the surface, all these things I did or guilt motivations, things that were still causing a little bit of angst. I said, why do I still, whatever it was, and I realized how much guilt was tied to fear and tied to all these other things that, you know, I felt guilty because I had a fear, and then I then I had the, the fear, and then the guilt, it just like fed each other, and, the, and then shame in with that, and all these, you know, all of that just was a vicious circle. So when I started surrendering that, I realized how much guilt was tied to everything. I mean, how much of my motivation out in the world in marketing is guilt-laden marketing? It's everywhere. If I turn on the news, I'm going to feel guilty for having something in like two minutes. Or how much, how much, how many the emails I get wanting me to help someone that they try to make that I read it as I feel guilty because I may have more than this person. So I need to help them not because I love them, but because I feel guilty for having what I have, <laughs> you know, and that's my interpretation, not yeah. that, you know, so that's all me, but I did not see all of this before. And it's, uh, it's, inter- it's just more to surrender, more to surrender and yeah. having the, the open mind, um, the, uh, the Mitchell translation, the second one, he says that the master has no mind of her own. That line is talking about that she has a strong will and strong character, but she's permeable. And her mind is so subtle that in comparison with the rigid thought and the desire structures, structures of other people, it seems to be pure space. So it seems she has no opinion, but she's very strong-willed, has lots of opinions, but is flexible, but is not so firm in what she thinks that she can't consider your opinion. And and does not push her opinions on others. Yes, Paul. There you go. Yes. <laughs> the part Which about, is something that uh, I think all of us need to remember from time to time. Oh. That's why it's so important in recovery. And the thing that makes recovery so different, and I have to remember this, and I've made a lot of shifts in this but still have to work on it, is I share my experience. I share how it worked for me. I don't tell you what you should do or what would fix you or how to do it. I just tell you what I did. And if I do that, then... It works well, just like you're talking. That's actually a good practice in in learning to be uh, open-minded or uh, to have no mind, in other words. 
as that first stanza talks about. Thank you, Paul. She also trusts people who aren't trustworthy. He says that means like a parent whose child has broken a rule. Of course, if a parent is genuine, the child will be genuine too. So it's talking about, you know, people who are not trustworthy. Does it mean, do you let people steal from you? And, you know, all those things. You know, that's the first one I first read. I thought, that doesn't make sense. Why would I trust someone that's not trustworthy? But what he's saying is that's like you trust a child, like your understanding and love for a child who um, makes a mistake or, or does something wrong. Um, that doesn't mean that you throw the child away. You still love the child. You still work, you know, all those things. You still care for the child. You don't care for the child any less. I mean, yeah, I think of it as we've all done things that I believe are untrustworthy, you know. So it's like I put myself in that position. Like I definitely, especially when I was drinking, was – untrustworthy but it doesn't mean people aren't supposed to trust me for example when i'm coming out of a bender or things like that just to put yourself in that position because i i also read it like that why would i trust somebody who's untrustworthy me too but as as kirsty said you have to think about where what did they come from what happened to them that made them untrustworthy and have some compassion you know, for somebody who's had a shitty life, you know, yeah. Yeah, you know, you, you know, they say you can't judge somebody because you never know what they've been through. Well, when we judge and, and Dyer talks about this, when we judge people, we're creating separation. Yeah. And the idea is that none of us are separate. That's the idea. <laughs> and, you know, the two, the two great commandments is, Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. So in doing that, if you were to apply that to this, you you would have to treat everyone with that love and concern that they're as important as we are. You'd have to lay down your judgment. No, and and as I love other people, then I, I believe I my love for myself grows as my love for others grow. That's what's that's how it's worked for me. I, I never tried to love me more. I didn't know how to do that at all, but it just naturally happened. It just naturally happened. Huh. It's, I, still, I, it's still happening. I thought it was for me the opposite. Is the more I start to uh, have compassion and love for myself the more I can love others. I don't know, but I don't know. Maybe it's, I don't know. could be both. Maybe they feed Uh, each other, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. acting my way into right thinking instead of thinking my way into right acting. For me, (laughs) that came from that act because I don't know how to increase my love for myself. I mean, I can do, I Googled it because I was curious (laughs) to what was said about that, right? You can Google anything these days. Yeah. You know, um, how do I love (laughs) myself? Okay. So there were 1.4 billion searches for that, okay? A lot. (laughs) 
<laughs> a lot of people are asking how to love themselves. That's wonderful. They're seeking. Okay. And here's one. How to love yourself. Uh, how to believe in yourself again. And it's all, uh, it's all things that, you know, do things for yourself, you know, have a massage, do the, you know, treat yourself right. Okay. And I'm like, no, nah, that's not doing it for me. I mean, I can, I can't rationalize my way into this. I can't rationalize my way into or treat myself so well that I am going to start loving me. That's not the love I'm talking about. You know, I want to have acceptance. I want to have, you know, peace that does not, that might bring me, you know, surface peace for a little while, but not inner peace. So I was still looking and I found seven ways to learn to love yourself unconditionally. This was, uh, on Huff post. And this is, uh, Deepak, Deepak Chopra, Chopra. And he, um, he approached it from the way that I think would start working. Uh, let me give you all this link. If y'all want to pull it up, I'll put it in the chat. I just thought it was interesting. His approach was first make contact with your inner self, meditation, so forth. Honestly, face your inner obstacles and resistance. Deal with old wounds. Forgive your past. Accept where you are right now. Form relationships where you feel loved and appreciated. And his seventh step was practicing the kind of love you aspire to receive. I'm like, okay, I think this might help me to better love myself. Yeah, I'll make sense. Yeah, you know, it's not about doing nice things for me <laughs> or going and seeing a movie I like, you know. That's still not going to fix me. That might make me feel okay for a little while. Like I I had a therapist once give me a list of those things. Go take yourself and get treat yourself to a nice dessert or a massage. Me too. Temporary and fleeting. It treats the immediate anxiety, but doesn't really get very deep. That's looking outward for solutions. Exactly, Paul. Exactly. That's the outward look when what we're talking about is looking inward. You know. That's where the real solutions are, in my opinion. It's been my experience, you know. And that's why when I see all the posts about self-love and all, I'm like, okay, I don't, I'm not critical because everybody's somewhere, you know. And if that's if that helps them in the moment, so be it. It's fine. They don't need my permission for sure, okay. And nor do they do they need my my judgment, Marla, like we're talking about. They don't need my criticism either. But for me, I was thinking, you know, that's just not enough. I can't have enough massages to make me feel better. <laughs> they do feel good, though. But they do yeah. feel good. I mean, I yeah. I can be relaxed still hating me, you know. <laughs> if you go to that place Suzanne went to, you might change your mind, buddy. Well, I might. But we're not even going to go there, Paul. <laughs> Need somebody to walk on your back a little bit, maybe. It'll be a- well, but still. Regardless, it's back still- four times this week. Did you? <laughs> Suzanne has a, Suzanne has a lifetime membership now. 
but you know, regardless of how well we feel, it's still not taking care of that anger and resentment and fear that that are I know I came into recovery with. Yeah. So those things he had some very good um good thing that that's the way it's worked for me. With his last one being, hey, go give someone else the love that you want. I do think those external things are helpful in the moment sometimes. Like sure. in early recovery when you're feeling so anxious, like going to a meeting, which is kind of external, getting you out of your own head, all the things that kind of get you out of your own stinking thinking kind of thing when you're early in, because that whole list of going inward and all that, when you're feeling really anxious or really want to drink or something like that, it's, it's, it's just not accessible. So I think those kind of things are helpful for, for in the moment kind of things. Yeah. You know, Lola, I think you've got, for me, I've got two approaches to this. I've got the temporary things that I know are temporary like that or like me would be jumping on the motorcycle and going hitting the curvies for a couple of hours. Um, now that for me, sometimes like if I'm anxious about something, I'll pray and I'll do, and I say, I got to get up and do something and I'll go do something, you know, I, and that helps in the moment. But I, but if that's all I ever do, I'm right. never going to get better. And I think, I think, I think, too, buddy, those things like my walks, for instance, those can be a conduit. Yes. Those could be a means to an end to get yes. into myself. So, yeah, sometimes you do have to go out and find something outward to to get it back inward again. Exactly. It's like for me, too, it's like walking, getting up and walking, you know, my dog or something like that when I'm feeling very anxious. And that allows me to be able to go inward, you know. Yeah. So I, think I, think, I think you have to lay the foundation and think these external things form self-care. Mm-hmm. Self-care soothe, which may be temporary, so that then you're more, you're building up the foundations, and then you're more able to then look inward, which is then hopefully the transformation to some form of self-love. Because self-care, getting enough sleep, going for a massage, doing some exercise. Yes, they will help on the path, but ultimately those in, things in isolation or even together aren't going aren't to, you know, solve your issues, but are necessary all the same at certain points. Well yeah. said, Kirsty. well said. Yeah, and I, I was just about to say what she just said more eloquently, thank you. Uh, you <laughs> for me, I mean, balance. I just have to balance those two things of self-care in the physical, right, the massage, the nails, whatever, um, but also the, the inward. And, I, to, you know, I'm all about finding balance right now. Um, I just think you can do too, too much of one. And, again, Kirsty just said that much better than I did, but I was thinking that. I agree. Yeah, and I think with time, it just evolves if we will just take our fingers off of it and just try to do the next right thing that's in front of us, you know? I think it just evolves, and we, it's nothing we got to figure out, or I don't have to put it on a schedule, you know, and say, okay, I'm going to slowly stop doing, and then I need to end, you know, all of that control that I love to do that I don't have to do with this, and it's better if I don't. And if I do the next right thing that's in front of me, I can see it naturally evolving 
and becoming something that's getting rid of this stuff that's trapped us forever, you know? Yeah. Got a couple of things out of, out of uh, Derek Lynn I want to mention. Uh, that first verse, the sages have no constant mind, is how he, he says that. Instead of they have uh, no mind, he says no constant mind. And constant mind means an inflexible and dogmatic way of thinking. It's a mindset that clings to certain beliefs, even though the presence of contrary evidence. So not being flexible. Uh, The mind of the people means multiple perspectives. So you're looking at other perspectives. We talked about that. Um, They treat the people well, whether they're deserving of kindness or not. In general, sages expect the best from everyone and get it because people cannot help but raise their standards to live up to the bar that the sages have set for them. Um, and that's, that's pretty much, uh, uh, then the last talking about, um, the sages live in the world and the, the sages care for the world as, as children. Um, uh, the world means civilization. The sages are not hermits. They live among people, not far away from them. They feel, True cultivation cannot be achieved in isolation, and they have self-imposed obligations to care for the people. Like the sages, we live fully immersed in modern life with all of its noises and temptations. These distracting factors happen to be the perfect gauge for our spiritual progress. To be tested by them is why we come into the material world in the first place. If we go live on the mountain somewhere and distance ourselves from them, we defeat that very purpose. Um, I don't know if the reason why we interact with people is to test how well we're doing spiritually. Maybe it's because we're here to be useful. I don't know, but regardless, I don't learn and I don't grow when I'm by myself very much. It usually happens when I'm around people because of that rub with other people really show me spiritually where I lack. And also, being that God is love, right? If we, I believe God is love. If God is love, it's hard for me. I can I can love God, but the way that it really works, I mean, that's easy. You just say something. You, know, you can say that. You know, the, the actions are not there like it is when I really have to love other people. And so when I'm doing for someone else other than myself and showing love, then I am experiencing God. It didn't say that God loved. It says God is love. So that's kind of that, that's why I think this interaction and concern and care for others is such an important part of not only our recovery but our life in general. Because mm-hmm. if we're all about us, showing no love to others, real love. I mean, because think about it. A lot of times the actions I used to take were not really love. I loved very little because I always had a hook in what I did. You know, it wasn't really love. I always wanted something in return or I was manipulating someone to do something for me or all those things. Very little was real love. You know, I go and buy presents for my family because it's Christmas. I have to. I don't have a choice, you know. I have to invite them for my birthday because they're my family. So we go out and eat, and I buy everybody's meal on my birthday. 
I really want to do that on my birthday, you know, spend 150 bucks on dinner <laughs> because it's my birthday. You know? <laughs> you know, there's no love involved in that whole inter- that whole thing. You know? <laughs> yeah. When, especially when I was drinking, I would, I would overcompensate because I had so much guilt and shame. So I do yes. so much and overcompensate because I, I felt so bad about myself that would, it would be make me feel better, not for them. I would do all these things for others, buy them a meal, do all these things. And it was just to feel better about myself. Yes. <laughs> and then we start realizing all these things we thought were love really weren't. <laughs> no. But it, it made me become a doormat. You know, oh, sure, I'll do that for you. You know, because I felt so guilty. Yeah, sure, I'll do that for you. And then I just, you know, I became a doormat, which was res- caused me resentments and blah, 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 whatever. There's a couple of notes I have from this chapter. Um, never assume we are right from the has no mind. What? Never oh, assume yeah. we are right. Yeah. You know what happens when we assume, buddy? <laughs> what, Paul? <laughs> Making ass out of you and me. That's an oldie buddy goodie. Oldie buddy goodie. And I have a new, uh, you know, I have a wall of Dow where I've got all these Dow quotes on my wall. And I've got a new one, and it sounds very spiritual. So I I hope, I know you guys are going to be impressed with this. (laughs) I do not know. That's my latent big print right above my computer monitor. I do not know. <laughs> okay. I do not know. I said, I'd like something that sounds a little better than that, but no, that's the best I could get. So I do not know. Paul. If I, if I come into a situation, assuming if I want to assume that I do not know, then I, I have a good possibility of maybe heading in the right direction. Yeah. And you might learn something. I might. It kind of reminds me of when, you know, somebody's talking to you about all their problems and you get into that, let me fix it mode. I know how to fix it. Let me fix it. When really all you they want you to do is listen, you know. Yeah. Really all that really helps them is listening, you know, versus, well, maybe you should do this or maybe you should do this. I know what you should do. Um, and just be, I don't know, but I'm here to listen. And even I think that's why my higher power is moving me toward businesses that I have no experience in is <laughs> because if I was still doing real estate, gosh, I've learned so much over the years. It's very hard for me to surrender in real estate. But when I'm doing something new, I know nothing about. It's much easier for me to have that. Uh, have like I don't wonder. know attitude. Right. You get the childlike wonder. Like, yes. wow. Really? Yeah. Because I'm starting to get into new things and, you know, getting out of that entertainment industry. And it's like this whole world opens up. It's like, wow, you know, you get exciting. It is. It is. And and I can't do anything but be grateful when things unfold I know nothing about. And I'm like, how is this happening? You know, it's, uh, it's crazy. Uh, another one where she, it says that she is also good to people who aren't good. This is true goodness. Uh, like water nourishes anyone who drinks, so the sage is kind toward others. You know, water doesn't pick 
who it nourishes. It will nourish anyone who drinks. So that's the same attitude that the sage is having toward people who we tag as bad or good or whatever. Uh, the sage is kind to everyone. That same attitude of, of love toward others, not reward toward others or vengeance toward others, but love. How do we react? Uh, how do we react to the behavior of our own children? We talked about that. Treats everyone like their own child. Okay. Wayne Dyer, real quick. Yeah. Um, I'll just quickly read the 49th verse, Living Beyond Judgment. The sage has no fixed mind. He is aware of the needs of others. Those who are good, he treats with goodness. Those who are bad, he also treats with goodness because the nature of his being is good. He is kind to the kind. He is also kind to the unkind because the nature of his being is kindness. He is faithful to the faithful. He is also faithful to the unfaithful. The sage lives in harmony with all below heaven. He sees everything as his own self. He loves everyone as his own child. All people are drawn to him. He behaves like a little child. In this gently powerful verse, we're encouraged to change the way we view virtually everyone on the planet. Lao Tzu saw the potential for existing harmoniously through living beyond judgment. Thus, this 49th verse of the Tao Te Ching invites us to explore that peaceful world. It's encouraging us to replace our idea of criticizing them with an acknowledgement of us without criticism. Imagine the possibilities for all of humanity if we simply eliminated prejudice and could live in harmony with all below heaven. You can begin by changing your view of judgment as a valuable or important activity by being aware of when you're doing it to yourself. Then simply start substituting noticing for judging. From this perspective, you'll realize pretty quickly that you prefer to observe what you're doing or feeling rather than critiquing yourself. Calling your behavior bad or good just pits you against yourself and others by using competition, punishment, or dislike as your motivational markers. Hatred, anger, and threats become necessary because love, acceptance, and kindness can't be trusted. Hold on, hold on right there, Mark. Noticing instead of judging. Yeah, that that's part of a you know a Buddhist philosophy when you're meditate or mindfulness when you're meditating is notice your thoughts rather than judging your thoughts. You're noticing what's going on, not judging what's going on. Putting yourself as a third person, like taking yeah. yourself out of it and looking at it as a non-judgmental party. Yeah. Let me ask you about this. The sage has no fixed mind. He is aware of the needs of others. And then then it talks about, you know, treats good and everyone the same, all of that down. Then he says he sees everything as his own self. Mm-hmm. He loves everyone as his own child. And in response to his love to others, all people are drawn to him. He behaves like a little child. He loves others as his own child. 
he behaves like a little child himself. But don't you think that means um, with the innocence of a child who has not been jaded by everything? That's kind of what I took it to mean. Well, for me, I, I take it as mean, meaning what we learn in the first three steps in the powerlessness of, of, okay, let me read something. This is, I'm going to stop to share for a second. This is page, let me find it, 418 in the big book. And what he says is, for years I was sure the worst thing that could happen to a nice guy like me would be that I would turn out to be an alcoholic. Today I find it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. This proves I don't know what's good for me. (laughs) And if I don't know what's good for me, then I don't know what's good or bad for you or for anyone. So I'm better off. If I don't give advice, don't figure I know what's best, just accept life on life's terms as it is today, especially my own life as it actually is. Not as I imagine it to be, but as it actually is. Is that not a lot of the attitude that we had as a child? Yeah. That same, you know, you just do, you know, I have no idea. I'm not concerned about dinner tonight. When I remember going out and playing, I, well, I didn't go to my parents that morning and say, oh, is it okay if I stay tonight here? I, you know, I'm, are we going to have something to eat tonight? Is there, you know, all of that. There was no anxiety. I just went and did whatever I wanted to do that day and enjoyed myself. And did, if there was anything I needed to do, I, I knew I better do it. But I needed to be home in time for dinner. And that was it. And that was all my parents really required of me. You know, talking about during the summer and you're out playing and enjoying yourself. And how I think our attitude and trust is to be a lot the same uh, with our higher power as it was in a, if, if we had a childhood that we were taking that same example of a child um, in the same way in a, in a healthy situation. So. That, that's how I see that. If he behaves like a child, he takes the concern of a child, which is very little, leaves the rest to unfold. It's not part of his concern. He doesn't even know not to worry about it. The little child doesn't know that he shouldn't be worrying about these things. He doesn't know those things yet. It's good when I have a new sponsee and we're talking about things like this, especially if they have little children, I, I want them to think about how their child responds to things and how much real responsibility that child has and how spiritually they can get to a point to where they feel the same way that their job today, no matter what their age is to share what they have and be, be nice, (laughs) love somebody, do something for somebody and enjoy themselves. And if they're asked to do anything, they do it. I think that's behaving like the child. And the only way he can do that is by seeing everything as his own self. In other words, we're all connected. It's like 
when I hurt you, I'm hurting me. When I attack you, I'm attacking me. When I'm mean to you, I'm really mean to me. But when I love you, what am I doing? I'm loving me. That's it right there. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's good. Y'all caught me cheering up a little bit. Mm. That's good. Any any comments? No. Anything else in uh, Wayne Dyer we want to hit real quick, Marla, before we close? There was a lot of good stuff in here. I did, you know, I'd like changing your, change the way you look at yourself and change the way you look at other people. Why don't you go ahead and read that? Go ahead and read it. Yeah, read, read it because that, that's good. That's good. To change the way you look at yourself. If you pride yourself on having a fixed mind, realize that it relies on conditioning that generally shows up as prejudice. Instead, see yourself as flexible since being open is the higher virtue. Pride yourself on extending your goodness and kindness to all sides. Even when they oppose your pre-programmed learning, begin to see yourself as a person who notices instead of judges. Avoid taking one position and sticking to it no matter what the circumstances are. Rather, be in harmony with all people, especially those whose opinions conflict with yours. And remember to include yourself when dispensing kindness and non-judgment. Love yourself. Love yourself. And the way I've learned to do that is by loving other people. By And, and in the littlest of things, too. Like you were talking about, Lala, in conversation, just listening to someone, I'm giving them love. You know, in, in these interactions I have, even with business, if I'm, I'm working with some programmers on something right now and they're behind and it should be finished and it's not, and I'm, okay, what do you need from me? How can I help you finish this? You know, what can I do for you? Not in a mean way, but how can I help? Is there anything you need that I can do? Throw more money at them. <laughs> no, that won't work. I've tried. That, that's not. That, that's not the problem. I know. Uh, but you know, and I and I have to be confident that my day is unfolding like it's supposed to unfold, and just accept that. And I thank them for the job they were doing, even though I wanted to say, <laughs> you know. But I thank them, and I appreciated the job they were doing, blah, 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 you know. And I've learned that I have to love and be considerate to people. I can't be that bull that pushes through the china shop, you know. It's interesting when you say, even though I wanted to be like her, when I was at the Buddhist retreat, one of the leaders was talking about somebody who pickpocketed him. And he said, you know, he's trying to give love and kindness. And, it, and he kind of used a percentage. It was like 50% pretending love and kindness, 50% really sure. And he said then when they returned by mail his credit cards and everything, everything but the money, it became like 30% and 70% compassion. <laughs> that reminds me of the... Uh, 552 about the uh, about resentments that even talking about praying for people that uh, that you have a resentment against uh, you ask for their health prosperity happiness and you'll be free even when you don't really want it for them and your prayers are only words you don't mean 
go ahead and do it anyway. <laughs> go ahead and do it anyway. So that's what we're talking about. So, guys, enjoy yourself. Have a great week. And we'll see you next time. Hello, this is Buddy C. I wanted to make you aware of several recovery-related resources that I've posted in the episode description. These resources include a list of recovery podcasts, a free sober meditation app, daily recovery email, shared Google recovery calendars. Hope you put some of these resources to use and have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends in recovery.